Well, good morning, church. Glad to be back with you this morning. We took some time, was away, and we had a great time, and we're glad to be back. In fact, last week, Elijah spoke, and he did an incredible job. Let's give a round of applause for Elijah. He's somewhere around here. Uh, man, he did a great job on that passage. And in fact, I don't think I could have brought anything different or better than he did. He did an awesome job. So as you see him later today, just let him know, hey, man, great job, Elijah. But we were in Missouri, and we were uh, seeing our grandbaby, Henry. I think I have a picture here. This is me and Henry. Uh, yeah, uh, he's cute too, by the way. So anyway, uh, yeah, he's adorable. And then I think I have my favorite picture of Henry coming up. Yeah, Tim in his Air Jordan shoes, shorts, and and Jersey, my dad would be super happy with that. So he was awesome. And you know, the great thing about being a grandparent is when they have a poopy diaper or they're too fussy or they spit up, I just get to hand them off and just walk away. You know, I get the good moments. And so if you're a grandparent, you know that. So yeah, we had a great time there. And so, but we're glad to be back. And we are in a series that we started a couple weeks ago in the book of Colossians. And you know, as we began the series, one thing we kind of established out of the gate, and it's true for all of us, that everybody pursues something, right? We all pursue something. People that don't know Christ, people that do know Christ, we all pursue things. And you know, some of those things are frivolous things, but some of those things are like deeply rooted in us. For example, some people are in pursuit of peace. Some people are in pursuit of hope. Some people are in pursuit of joy. And if you say, hey, well, Doug, who are those people? We'll just turn on the news, right? We live in a world that's searching for peace, searching for hope, searching for joy, and people are searching for that. And hopefully what we've established is this truth, is that all of that can be found in who? Jesus, right? It's not Jesus plus something that equals peace. It's not Jesus plus something that equals hope. It's not Jesus plus something that equals joy. It is Jesus plus nothing that equals everything. Only in Jesus can we find peace. Only in Jesus can we find hope. Only in Jesus will we find the joy that we are searching for. Everything you're searching for this morning can be found in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. In fact, what we established week one is this, is that because of those things, Jesus is sufficient. That Jesus is enough. And the reason we can say that, we find out in Colossians 1, is because Jesus is sovereign. He's sovereign over everything. He's supreme over everything. In fact, we even said this, that he is the, 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 he is the invisible, he's the reflection of the invisible God, meaning that he is the presence of the invisible God. He is the perfect manifestation of God. He's not a lookalike. He is God. And so the reason we can say that Jesus is enough is because of who he is. He is the manifestation of God. He is supreme. He is sovereign. He reigns over everything. But we also can say that Jesus is enough because of what he's done for us. Now think about this. A sovereign and a supreme God stepped out of glory and became one of us so that he could be, live a sinless life and be brutalized and be put to death on a cross so that, and he would raise again the third day just so he can reconcile humanity back with him. Isn't that good news this morning? I mean, we can say that he is enough because, listen, if he can shoulder the salvation and the weight of the world, he can shoulder whatever you got going on this morning. If he can make sure that salvation comes to this world, he can bring joy to a heart that's looking for it. If he can make sure salvation comes to humanity, he can make sure that you can find peace. Everything you're searching for this morning, whether you're a believer or not a believer, can be found in the person of Jesus. So we're able to declare this morning, Jesus is enough. If you believe that, shout amen this morning. 
He is enough. Now, here's the problem with that, though. It's because when we start trying to live for Christ, it gets tough, doesn't it? Now, listen, I, I, we, we have to acknowledge that if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, that it's not all rose gardens and smell good and, and everything's great for you. There are some tough times, right? See, some of you are nodding your head because you know what I'm talking about. Some of you are like, I know what you're talking about. It's coming. It's right. It's coming. And when we follow Christ, listen, it's not always easy to follow him. In fact, there's a moment, and Elijah talked about last week and did a great job with it. There's a moment we begin to wrestle with, is it worth it following Jesus? I don't know about you, but I've been through some stuff. And I'm sure some of you have been through some stuff. And there's been those climactic moments in your life where you're going, okay, is it really worth it? Is it really worth following Christ with all the junk I'm going through? And Elijah does such a great job reminding us, it depends, your answer will depend on what lens you're looking through life at. So if you say, is it worth following Jesus and the lens that you view life is through acquiring more money, your answer is going to be, it's not. If you're looking through the lens of, I want to I climb the corporate ladder and just have great success at the world standards, and we ask you, is it worth following Jesus? Your answer is going to be what? No, it's not. It's only when we look through the lens of calling and look through the lens of potential, what God has for us, do we actually come to the place where we say, following Jesus is worth it. Do you think Peter thought following Jesus was worth it when he was hanging upside down being martyred for his faith? I would say yes. Do you think John on the Isle of Patmos, who was going to be boiled, do you think he thought it was worth it? Yes. Do you think Paul, who was in prison and was beaten most of his adult life as a Christian, do you think he thought it was worth it? Yes. And why? It's because the lens they were looking through, they were realizing that Jesus of Nazareth, the one who died for their sins, the one they put their faith in, he has a calling on their life. And not only they have a calling, he has potential. He wants to work in and through them. And if we look through that lens, the answer we will come to is, Yes, it's worth it. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes we have to take a breath and say that, don't we? Because it's tough sometimes. So here's the question for this morning. If we can come to this agreement that Jesus is enough, <coughs> that Jesus is sufficient, and we can come to this agreement that, yes, following Christ is worth it, here's, the, I think, the evolution of question, that we, the next evolving question we should ask is this. How then are we to live? If Jesus is enough... And yes, it's worth following him. How are we to live our lives? Now, the reason I ask that question is this. Because in Colossians chapter 2, Paul pivots the conversation and he moves away from the position of Christ as supreme, as sovereign, as the one who's the manifestation of God. And he moves into the practice of followers. In fact, all the rest of chapter 2 and all of chapter 3 is going to be Paul helping us establish what does it mean to live a life pleasing to the Lord. So if you have your Bibles, Colossians chapter 2 is where I'm going to be this morning. Colossians chapter 2. And we're going to read just two verses this morning. I know we've tracked a lot of ground in the first two weeks, but we're just going to kind of camp on two verses. And I'm going to ask you, since the passage is small, if you would stand with me in honor of reading God's Word. <coughs> it says this, Colossians chapter 2 verse 6. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so... Walk in him. Everybody say walk in him. Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith just as you were taught abounding in thanksgiving. Let's pray. God, we love you. We need you today, Lord. I believe the truth that you're about to unpack to us today is something that will radically impact our lives, Lord. So would you give us ears to hear and a heart to be receptive to your word? Not my words, Lord, but your words. 
So God's moving this place. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Now, a few things I want you to notice about this verse 6. We'll throw verse 6 up here, Thomas, we can. The first thing it says is, therefore. Now, I know you've been in church, some of you, long enough to know that that's a word that matters, right? That's a word that makes a difference. So what basically the idea of therefore is this. It's this notion, it's kind of this concluding exhortation, meaning now that we've established something, now that we have settled our position on something, therefore, here's how I want you to live. Here's what I want you to do. So in other words, Paul's saying, since we have established the supremacy of Christ, since we've established the sovereignty of Christ, since we've established that he is the manifestation of God, since we've established who Jesus is and what he's done, and since we've established that it is worth it to follow him, here's what I want you to do. Therefore, then he says this, as you receive Christ, so what? What does he say? So what? Walk in him. Walk in him. Now, this is a really interesting phrase in the Greek language, this idea of walk in him. Now, the word walk there just basically carries the idea and refers to our daily conduct, how we live every day. And so really what Paul's establishing in this walk in him, this idea of walking is this, is that we're to live our life, live every day trusting the truth of who Jesus is, trusting the truth of what God's word says, rather than buying the lies the world throws at us. Now you say, well, Doug, I don't see any lies here. Well, that's coming next week. Because Paul's going to deal, <coughs> excuse me, with three primary philosophies that they're addressing and having to deal with in the church of Colossae. And so he's established out of the gate that because we've established the supremacy of Christ and because we've established what he's done for us and because we've established that, yes, it is worth following him, here's what I want you to do. I want you to walk in him. I want you to walk. I want you to live every day trusting the truth about Jesus, rather than buying the lies and the philosophies of this world. He says, I want you to walk in him. Now, if you know anything about English grammar, that phrase in him is a prepositional phrase, right? In him. Now, this is a beautiful part in the Greek language. I love this because in him implies something. You notice Paul doesn't say, hey, walk in a way that's worthy uh, of the calling. Now, he says that in other places, but he doesn't say it here. He says, hey, I want you to walk in a way that is pleasing to God. It's not what he says. He says, I want you to walk how? In him. Now, this, I love Paul because Paul is one of those guys, if we could sit down across the table from Paul, I would venture to say this, that he is the deepest theologian we will have ever met in our life. That he will think things and say things that would blow our minds away. I think he was a deep theologian. But what I love about Paul is he was able to take a deep theology and make it so simple. In fact, one of my favorite books of the Bible is in the church of Corinth, 1 Corinthians. It's like when you read that book, if you've read it before you know this, it's like Paul gets so frustrated with the Corinthian church, he'll say stuff like this. You know, he gets so frustrated, and he says, Christ crucified. And then he'll go on and say some more stuff, and he'll go, Christ crucified. Why? Because Paul's like, the essential what I want you to get is that Jesus died for you. You should never get over that. And when Galatians chapter 2, one of my favorite chapters in all the Bible, Galatians 2, Paul carries the same idea when he says, for I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, not I that live, but Christ that lives where? In me. So the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. In other words, Paul's saying, listen, here's what it means to walk in him. You're not your own. Your life, Doug, doesn't belong to you. Your actions don't belong to you. It is Christ in you. So Paul says to the church of Colossae, I want you to walk in him. 
This in him implies a couple things. And first of all, it implies intimacy. He's in him. It implies harmony. Really what Paul's trying to tell the church of Colossae is this. He said, I want you to walk in rhythm with the Lord. I want you to walk in step with the Lord. I want you to walk in unison and in union with the Lord. You remember how I said in chapter 1, that Jesus is the perfect manifestation of God, that he is God. He's not just a reflection, <clears throat> but he is God. You remember me saying that? So where Jesus was the perfect manifestation of God, what Paul's establishing with this church is, I want you to be the perfect reflection of the Lord. So when people see us, who are they supposed to see? Jesus. When people hear our words out of our mouth, they should as if they've heard the words of Jesus. If they, people see our action, now some of you are beginning to sweat. I know, I know. But when people see, hear, and rub shoulders against us, who are they supposed to rub shoulders with? It's Jesus. That's why in Matthew 5, <coughs> Jesus said this, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and praise your Father in heaven. In other words, let your life so shine before people that when they see how you live, when they see how you act, when they see how you talk, it points them to him. Just a quick question. How many of us are walking that way? How many of us, when we drive up and down the road, that if we could have a conversation with the person we just cut off, or have a conversation with the person that just cut us off, or have a conversation with people who just simply don't know how to drive, which most Floridians fit that. I mean, if we could have that conversation, and we were to have that, like my oldest son, he is me all over again. So it's always good to be around my oldest son, because it quickly reminds me of all my flaws. It reminds me of all the things in my life that I've got to fix still, and he, is, he, is, he has um, <clears throat> maybe a little road rage when he's driving. Now, he's driving in a town about the size, a little bit bigger than Christmas. So, I mean, nobody's moving very fast except him. And so he gets all mad behind people and he says things to people. He talks to them as if they can hear him, but I'm the one that hears him. And I'm like, James, he's like, he's like I'm going to take him out. I'm like, no, 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 we're not taking anybody out today, James. We're not taking anybody out. I mean, so, I mean, there's just that sense of that that's in him and and. The thing about it is when, when we live and we leave this place and people see us, hear us, around us, what are they catching a glimpse of? The world or Christ? See, Paul says, listen, church, since we've established some things, here's what I want you to do. Here's the therefore. I want you to walk in him. I want you to live every day. I want you to live every day believing and trusting the truth about who Jesus is. And every day, I want you to walk in step with him and in rhythm with him and with union with him. I want when people see you, for them to see the Lord Jesus. I want you to walk in him. Now, I love the simplicity of that. Now, if you're like Doug, while that is simple, there's a part of me that still begins to wonder, what does that look like, right? What does that really look like? How do I do that. Well, Paul doesn't leave us hanging. He tells us next in verse 7 what it takes to do this, what it looks like. Well, let me in verse 7 again. He says this, so walk with him, rooted <clears throat> and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Now, there's four things he tells us this looks like. There's four things that if we're going to walk in him, what we have to do, what it takes to walk in him. And the first thing he says is be rooted in him. Be rooted in him. You pick up on that. He says this. He says, after you walk in him, he said, rooted 
up and built up in him. So we're to be rooted in Christ. Now, what does that mean? Well, the idea here is the imagery of a tree. You know, a tree has what? What does a tree have? Roots. And those roots go into the ground. And the deeper those roots go and the wider those roots go, the more stable that tree becomes, right? Are we with me on that? And that's the imagery that Paul's trying to give this church, that we need to be deeply rooted in Christ. Which, which begs this question from this non-really sharp guy is, how do I get that? How do I get rooted with Christ? Well, the answer is pretty simple because there's two primary ways we can be rooted in Christ. And here's one of them. You ready? Get into this book. If you enter the heart of God, the mind of God, the will of God, what God has for you, it is in here. If we're going to be rooted in Christ, we've got to be rooted in the very breath of God because he is God that's, that I'm holding in my hand. If we have to be rooted, we've got, it's got to start right here. Are you with me on that? To be rooted in Christ begins by getting rooted in the word. Also through prayer. Listen, husbands, I'm going to pick on you for a minute. If you came home and never talked to your wife, how well would your marriage go? I'm asking the wives because I know what they'll say. Pretty good. So husbands, if you never talked to your wives... How well is your marriage going to go? Pretty, yeah. Some of, you, some of you are like, I don't know. I haven't heard about talking in a long time. I'm not sure what that looks like. But I get one true answer. It's going to go bad, right? It's going to go bad for you. Because when you don't talk, listen, when you don't talk to your spouse, here's what you miss out on. You miss out on their heart. You miss out on what matters to them. You miss out on what breaks them. You miss out on what brings them joy. And when you don't listen and you don't have a conversation with them, you miss out on so many things. And if we're going to be rooted in Christ, we've got to be rooted in his word, and we've got to be on our knees in prayer seeking his counsel. So the idea here of being rooted in him is the idea of being deeply rooted in Christ. Now listen to me. To be rooted means to be so connected to Jesus. Listen, to be rooted means to be so connected to Jesus that when the storms of life come, nothing is going to knock me over. How many of you want to be that rooted? See, now here's what many of your stories might reflect, because this has been my story a little bit sometimes, is that you have people of faith, people that go to church, people that call themselves a Christians, and something catastrophic happens in life, a death of a child, a death of a parent, a death of a spouse, a, a cancer, I mean, a lot of different things happen, and you hear them say stuff like this, you know, when that happened in my life, <clears throat> it, it, it shook my faith. Anybody ever heard that one before? Some people go as far as it shattered my faith. Well, do you know why it shattered their faith? Is because they weren't rooted in Christ. And that's not a dig at them because I've been through that. There's been some things happening in my life that just totally rocked my world. And the reason it rocked me is because I wasn't rooted in Christ as I should be. Because the thing is, when the more I, to be rooted means I'm so connected with Christ that when the storms of life come, nothing's going to knock me over. See, I've also met people who are deeply rooted in Christ. I've met people that have faced catastrophic events in their life. And you go to them and there's still pain. There's still sorrow, there's still struggle, but they always conclude the conversation with this, but I know that my God is on his throne. I know that my God is in control. I know that he's got a plan and a purpose, even though I don't see it, even though I'm hurting, even though I'm broken at this point, I know that he is still on his throne. What's the difference between the two people? One is rooted in Christ, and one is struggling being rooted in Christ. Which one are you this morning? See, if we're going to walk in him, the only way we can really walk in him is to make sure, the only way we can stay in rhythm and in sync is to make sure that we are rooted in Christ through his word and through prayer. He also says this, not only be rooted in him, but be built up in him. Be built up in him. 
He says, be, he says here, be rooted and built up in him. Now, this idea of being built up just carries the notion of growing up. Here's some really good news and some really bad news. You ready? For those of you in the room that think that you're just not worth it, that you think that you take two steps forward and ten steps backwards, listen, you're under construction. He's not done with you. You're, you know, I don't care what your journey looks like today, God is not done with you, and you need to know that. Now, for those of you that think that you've arrived spiritually, I got bad news for you. You too are under construction because you've not arrived, and that day won't happen until we see him, and we should be like him in that moment. We are all under construction. So this idea of being built up in him is the idea of growing. In fact, in the Greek, this is in the present participle, which means this, is that it's a continuous journey. So it could be translated being built up in him, meaning it's a process. It never stops. You know, I wish I could quit growing, right? So, I mean, it's a process spiritually that never stops, you know? And so what he's saying here is, listen, we don't need to be rooted in Christ, but we need to be built up in Christ. And so since the notion of being built up is the notion of growing, what does it take for a tree to grow? Nourishment, right? You have to have nourishment. Well, for a believer to grow and be built up in Christ, you know what we need? Nourishment. Who is the source of our nourishment? Jesus is. He is the source of our nourishment. What we need to grow healthy in our relationships can be found in him. What we need to grow healthy in our spiritual life can be found in him. What we need to grow healthy emotionally can be found in him. Everything we need to grow healthy can be found in him. Everything we need to grow spiritually, emotionally, relationally, everything we need to do to be strong in the Lord can be found in him. Jesus is our source of nourishment. So it's not just enough to be rooted in him, we have to be built up in him. Can I tell you what it means to be built up in him? You're going to think I'm beating a dead horse, but I'm going to. It's not just knowing this. It's allowing it to wash over your life and become part of who you are. See, when I act in certain ways, when I pray for my enemy, I shouldn't do it because I feel this obligation of what Jesus said in Matthew. They were to pray for those who persecute us. I should do it because more than anything else, I want to reflect Christ. So it's not an obligation kind of thing. It's a privilege kind of thing. And if we're going to be built up in him, we can only be built up. The nourishment we are searching for is found right here. I don't know about you, but if I were to ask this question, I bet most hands would go up. How many of you feel like you're starving spiritually this morning? One reason we starve spiritually is because we only get it on Sundays. Ouch, right? We need this every day. We got, if we're going to be built up in Christ, we've got to be built up in his word. We need nourishment to stay strong in Christ. Let me tell you the third thing he says. He says, not only do we need to be rooted and built up in him, he said, and established in the faith. We're to be established in the faith. Now, this phrase, established in the faith, is unique because it could also be translated strengthened in the faith. And there's kind of some ambiguity with this phrase in the text because some of you say, well, to be established in the faith, Doug, or to be strengthened in the faith, doesn't that kind of carry the notion of being strong in our trusting of the Lord? Well, sure it does. There's some ambiguity there. But really the text itself tells us exactly what Paul's trying to get at because he says established in the faith. Not one of many faiths, but a singular faith. And what Paul is getting at here is that we need to be established in the faith, the faith in Christ. We need to be established in and strengthened in the faith. Now, what's he talking about? He's talking about being strengthened and established in sound doctrine. 
And we know that because when you go through the rest of chapter 2, we're going to see all these philosophies that the church of Colossae is dealing with. And Paul says, listen, if you're going to walk in him, you need to be built up. You need to be rooted in him, but you need to be established in the faith. You need to be established in sound doctrine. The reason we know that because in the Greek, it's established in the faith. For example, one of my favorite words in the Greek language is the word the. Because the word the is a sign of the definite article. So when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, you know what he's actually saying? There is no other way. There is no other truth. There's no other life. It's only found, I am it. So when we say, hey, I'm going to take the car, well, that's not really accurate, right? Because there's many cars out there. But he's saying here, we have to be established in the faith, the singular faith, our faith in Christ. So we need to be established and strengthened in sound doctrine. So here's what that means for us. Do we know why we believe what we believe? Do you really know? Well, Doug, because you told me to believe it. No, that's a bad answer, right? That's bad. Not going to work. Let's, just, let's, have a, let's have a little dialogue this morning. You ready? Tell me some things that as, as Christians we say that we believe. Just shout them out. I'm not going to put you on the spot other than you just shouting them out. So shout them out. What are some things we say we believe as a Christian? The resurrection, absolutely. What else? What? Virgin birth, thank you. What else? Second coming, he's coming in, right. What else? Son of God, creation was not a big bang, but God created. Okay, what else? He rose, okay, the resurrection, what else? The Trinity, well, that's a big one, right? We, do we believe that salvation comes by grace through faith in Christ, right? We believe that. Now, here's the question. We can shout out all the things we say we believe, but do you know why you believe that? See, one of the most interesting moments in my life was when I was in my 20s, I was in college, and I began to look at life, because when I went to college, I'm just, I'm just gonna tell you, I'm from Popper Bluff, Missouri. I mean, I'm not saying we're backwoods, because we're not, but, but when you went to church, I mean, I, I know what church is all about, and then I go to Bible college, and I just thought Bible college was advanced church. And then I went to my first class. It was evangelism class. And the professor went through the syllabus at the end of it, he said, I want to give you a thought for you to think about, and we'll talk about it next class period, which was two days later. I said, great. He said, salvation is a process. See you on Wednesday. And he walks out the class. I'm going, what? What? This is blasphemy. And then, and then I'm like, I don't know. I mean, I was like beside myself. I'm like, have I come to a liberal college? What have I done? What am I going to do? I mean, salvation. I mean, I was saved. It's not a problem. I, mean, I don't eventually become saved. I am saved. And I was wrestling when I come back Wednesday. He's like, how many were you bothered by what I said? And all the hands went up. And then he introduced us to something I'd never heard of before. And it was the idea of sanctification. That every day God's saving us. Every day he sanctifies. Every day he's conforming us more to the image of Christ. And my point is this, we can say we know what we believe, but why do you believe it? Now see, listen, hear me on this. And that journey, that, that class started a journey for me where I began to pick apart everything I learned, not, not in a skeptical way, but a discovery way. Okay, I learned this as a high schooler about Jesus. Why do I really believe that? Why do I really believe that he came back the third day. Why do I really believe that works have no play in the part of salvation? Why do I really believe that? And it got me to start digging in, guess where? To this, to find out why I believe what I believe. And I just want to ask you this question. Do you know why you believe what you believe? Do you really know? Well, I think so, and that's not good enough. 
And for us as believers, listen, here's the thing that we've got to know this morning. For us as a believer, it's not okay to say, I don't know anymore. We've got to make sure we know why we, what we believe, why we believe it, and it has to be backed with Scripture. It can't be backed by your opinion. It can't be backed by your pastor. It can't be backed by your neighbor. It has to be backed by the Word of God. So that way, when anything's said that's wrong, you go, wait a minute. Wait a minute. That's not of God. See, here's the thing about this. The reason Paul established this is the more that we put sound doctrine into our lives, the more we put sound doctrine in, the stronger and more established we'll become. Listen, here's why this is important for us. It is sound doctrine that sounds the alarm of false teachings. Are you with me on that one? It is sound doctrine that sounds the alarm to false teachings. So if I were to say to you this morning, listen, church, Man, God is a God who creates, but it doesn't matter if Adam and Eve were real. It doesn't matter if they really existed. It was more of him creating humanity and mankind. There should be somebody standing and go, wait a minute. Wait a minute. It does matter. And you're wrong, pastor. And sayonara, sucker, right? I mean, so there should be a moment where we stop, the, we, we stop it and go, wait a minute. So we need to know what we believe, why we believe it. And he'd be back in Scripture. He said, be established in the faith. Now, if I was a betting person, which I'm not, I would say if there's any area that most of us struggle, it's right here. Most of us struggle right here. Because it takes work digging. And here's what I would suggest to you. Here's what I would just, as we move to the last point, here's what I would suggest to you. Don't start with all of those things we just mentioned. Start with one. Start with one. Just pick whatever one is the most pressing on your heart and start with that one. Get the right commentaries. Get the right resources. Have the right conversations. Don't just Google it on Google and expect to get all the right answers the first time you hit go, right? It's not going to happen that way. But start digging. So he says, I want you to be established in faith. And the last thing he says this, be abounding in thankfulness. He says this. He says, be rooted, be built up in him, established in the faith as you were taught, abounding and thanksgiving. This idea of abounding really kind of carries this notion of a river. Have you ever seen a river that got so full that the water was, was overflowing onto the banks, river banks? You ever seen anything like that? The imagery that Paul's given us here is that same kind of imagery that there should be such gratitude in our hearts for what Christ has done for us that our thanksgiving should be flooding over to everybody we come in contact with. The people that you were around yesterday know that you're thankful for what God's done in your life. They catch a glimpse of that. Did your gratitude overflow into life? See, I believe the result of being rooted in him, the result of being built up in him, and the result of being established in the faith is gratitude. Because the more I know, the more I begin to understand the breadth and the width and the depth of what Christ has done for me. And when I realize how much he's done for me and how much I couldn't do for myself, the only response I have outside of worship is thankfulness. And to be gracious and to have gratitude in my heart for all that he's done. See, gratitude is a reflection of where our hearts are at this morning. Are you thankful for what Christ has done for you? And I'm not just talking about your cheesy, typical church answer. Yeah, I'm pretty thankful. No, I mean, are you really thankful? Have you thought about the weight and the depth of what he's done for you that you could not do for yourself? And has it produced something in you? Is it producing gratitude or not? So Paul tells this church of Colossae, Chapter 2, he says, listen, church, now that we've established the supremacy of Christ, now that we've established that, yes, we believe it's worth it, here's how I want you to live. I want you to walk in him. 
I want every day for you to live a life trusting the truth about Jesus, not the lies of this world. I want you to walk in rhythm and in step and in union with Christ. Here's how you do that. You get rooted in him. You get built up in him. You get established in the faith. And guess what? Gratitude will always come. Now, which one of you this morning, which one of these areas as a believer, which one of these do you feel like you're struggling with? Maybe some of you say, well, Doug, I think I'm struggling with the part about being rooted. I don't spend enough time in this word, enough time in my, my knees prayer. Okay, well, that, is, that needs to change this morning, right? Are you with me on that one? If you're not being rooted in him, I can't change it for you. You have to change that. Maybe you say, well, Doug, no, I'm, I'm trying to be more rooted in Christ, but I need to be built up. Not just knowing this, it needs to kind of assimilate into my life and become part of who I am. I need to be maturing in my faith. Are you struggling with that this morning? Or maybe you're struggling with being established in your faith. Maybe you say, Doug, I believe this with all my heart, but honestly, I don't really know why. I grew up in church. I trusted my pastors, which you should. I trusted my Sunday school teachers, small group leaders, which you should. But there's got to be a moment in your life that your faith becomes yours. And you begin to be established in why do I believe what I believe? And it has to be backed by this book. You struggle with that. Or maybe because you struggle in those other areas, you don't have the gratitude you should have. So this morning, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, which one of these areas are you struggle in? And will you make a commitment to make a change? And if you're here this morning and you've never trusted Christ, listen to me. Whatever you're searching for, you're not going to find it in the world. You're not going to find it what the world is offering. You're only going to find it in the person of Jesus. Whatever you're searching for, you will only find it when you surrender your life to him and say, yes, Lord, I want you to be the boss and master of my life. And if you've never made that decision, I would love to talk to you about it. I would love to introduce you to him. So wherever God is leading you this morning, however he's pressed on your heart, would you be faithful? Would we be faithful to respond to that? Let's all stand together if we would. Everybody stand with me if you would. And every head bowed and every eye closed. Let's stand together. God, I love you, and I thank you for today. I thank you for this passage. God, there is so much meat right there. And God, I guess first of all, I, I, I want to I pray for all of us. I want to pray that we have a great deal of clarity this morning. That if we can stand and celebrate and say that, yes, Jesus is Lord. Yes, Jesus is supreme. Yes, Jesus was the perfect manifestation of God. And yes, it is worth it to follow him. If we can say that, Lord, may we be reminded this morning that therefore, because of that, we are called to walk in him. We are called to live a life trusting the truth about him, not the lies of this world. We are called to walk in step and in rhythm and in sync with him. And the only way we can do that is by being rooted in Christ, by being built up and maturing in Christ, by being established in our faith, why we believe, what we believe. And as a result, may gratitude and thanksgiving flow out of every pore of our life. So God, I pray specifically this morning for believers that we would really ask that hard question, which one of these am I struggling with? And will I make a commitment to make a change? And God, if they don't know how to make that change, I pray they would call me, text me, say, Doug, where do I start? Help me begin this journey of being rooted. God, Doug, help me begin this journey of being built up. Doug, help me begin this journey of being established. Would you just help me? God, I would love to do that. I pray that. 
And then I pray for maybe that person that doesn't know you. I pray that you would just make it clear to them that nothing this world offers is going to satisfy. Nothing this world offers is going to fill the void and fulfill what they're searching for. It's only in Jesus. So God, I pray for that person, if they acknowledge that and they know that, that today in this very moment, they would ask you to forgive them of their sins. And they would ask you to come in to be the boss and the master of their life. Again, I pray for those people. I pray that as we, that this morning, that we would be faithful to respond as you would lead us. God, we love you, and we thank you for this moment. For it's in your precious and your holy son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's worship together.